0: 34. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 713 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as as the scribes. And immediately there there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and, ki- and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with John and James. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Carol. Appreciate that very much. I love to hear our people read the scripture. If you would be interested in doing that sometime, the lady who did the announcement earlier, Cheryl? Let her know, and she'll put you on the list, and uh, you can read for us uh, on occasion. I love to hear the sound of God's people reading His Word together. So all of you who do that, thank you for doing that. It blesses me every time that you do that, and in particular, thank you, Carol, wherever you went to, for doing it today, yes. Um, Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, this past week has been kind of an historic week here uh, in the United States when Pope Francis has spent a tour uh, is involved in a tour of the United States and a few days ago had an historic uh, speech before the uh, the Congress uh, and gave a stirring pe- speech before the joint congress and if you guys get a chance to hear, read, hear that or or hear about that and uh, it just was fascinating to me because I was gone for the, that time period I did not get a chance to watch it live but I've picked it up later as I have listened to it as I see this simple octogenarian, you know, almost, right, standing before the most powerful body of people in the world, really, right, and making his speech and in, in bringing some uh, uh, wisdom to the national politic. It's been fascinating. On the one hand, this man has no power over the proceedings, but on the other hand, he's been treated with more respect than most people who get up there in front of that, Right? It's fascinating to me. His straightforward words and his humble actions speak with an authority which is quite astounding to the American public. And I'm sure it's been continuing all the same as he's made his journey. In a way, believe it or not, it is reminiscent of the kind of stir which Jesus created when he burst onto the supercharged atmosphere of the religious and political scene of the first century. That's what we're looking at as we begin to study this gospel of Mark. As we've seen Jesus just arrive on the scene, teaching and healing. And as it said in the scripture, which Carol read for you, astounding people by his authority. Listen to the part of what she read. It says there where we start, and he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one with authority, not as the scribes this man who had no real power really over the over the people had a, a, an authority no official place not educated in all the proper channels not part of the religious structure there but this guy who comes in and he begins to astound people why because he is a man who has tremendous authority and they say then later in verse 27 they were all it says the later they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this A new teaching with authority. I want to talk to you today about authority. Authority. What does this passage teach us about the nature of authority and of Jesus' authority in particular? We are in a culture which does not like the word authority very much. You know why we're in a culture that does not like the word authority very much? Because we are people who don't like authority very much. And you know why we are people that don't like authority very much? Because you and I don't like authority very much. I mean, let's just be honest. We like to talk about authority. We like to exercise authority. We like to know, we know the importance of authority, but it's not always easy to live under the yoke of authority. So what does this passage teach us about authority? This morning, you can jot it down on the back of your message notes. We're going to talk about what this passage teaches us about self-evident authority, self-harming authority, Self-giving authority and self-liberating authority. Number one, let's see, first of all, the self-evident authority of Jesus' teaching. The self-evident authority of Jesus' teaching. In the section I just read for you, we see that Jesus... uh, comes right into Capernaum, which is his new hometown. It's really his base of operations. But in the time preceding this, we see that he had uh, been baptized by John, the forerunner, in verse 9 of chapter 1, and that the Holy Spirit had sent him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan in verse 12 and following. And then he begins his ministry by proclaiming the gospel of God. Thing the time, verse fourteen and fifteen. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then he calls the first four disciples: uh, Simon and Andrew, and James and John. Simon, who we know to be Peter, ultimately Jesus called him that. And then they and they begin to follow him. And then it says, in the, and they went into Capernaum and. Immediately, which is a characteristic, characteristic word of Mark, the gospel writer, the word "immediately" or "straightway" or "right away," this sense of uh, uh, quick action and uh, it's very staccato. The gospel of Mark is very staccato; it's punctuated. Things happen quickly. Uh, 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 Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot. Not a lot of words are written there, but we see him as a man of action. And immediately he goes in and it says he taught them, and they were astonished. They were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because of his authority. He taught them as one who had authority. Jesus had a natural authority which was evident to all of those people as he came to them. We know that in other passages we see him saying things like this. You have heard it said thus and thus, but I say to you. Whereas the scribes and other teachers of the day would quote other other teachers before them from the Mishnah and the Targum and all of this, but Jesus would speak on his own authority. He had a natural authority, a commanding authority. When he was teaching, people could tell he was speaking the truth. The word authority is exousia, exousia. It doesn't mean brilliant, insightful, or intelligent. It means rule, dominion, and empower. It's just that when people heard him talk, they say, that's the truth. That's the truth. Hopefully, once in a while, that happens on Sundays Here. But it always happened when Jesus spoke. If they didn't like it or not, they could see he was a person with authority. He had a self-command about himself that caught with authority. He spoke the truth. His teaching came with real power. He didn't just act as if he was in charge. He literally was in charge. He just knew what he was talking about. Jesus was the most brilliant man who ever lived. Yes, he was the son of God in human form, but he was also a human being as well. He was brilliant. He was a great leader. He, gave, uh, he, he knew how to live life. He had given us life. He knew how life worked best. He knew what he was talking about. And those who heard him knew he was right. It's just like when you hear, you know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and you realize uh, that there's just truth in all of this, right? There's truth in all of this. Yes, he has authority in his teaching, not as the scribes, but authority that comes from himself. So this passage is all about authority. You will see it in his teaching. You will see it in his exorcism. There's no hocus pocus, no magic, no pleading, no yelling. Jesus simply speaks, and it is done. It happens later when the the when the when he's out on the boat with his disciples and and the and the sea is trying to get the hold of him and even these seasoned fishermen are afraid because of this storm. Jesus is sleeping in the middle of it. They wake him up. They, don't you don't you care that we're going to die? He looks around. Be still. <laughs> and immediately it's still. And I don't know if they were more amazed that the that the water turbulence went away or that Jesus just did it with a word of his mouth. Be still, right? Why? He's in charge. It's like when you coaches show up at your teams. Meet, meet these, you guys need to meet each other right there, Kevin. You know, okay, afterward. You show up to your team. Hopefully, they don't, you, don't have to, you don't want to rant and rave. You know a good coach, he doesn't rant and rave, right? He teaches his people. They know how to obey him. They know what to do. They do their job, Right? There's an authority, a commanding presence. Jesus had that over the waves, over the demons, over the illnesses. He heals his mother-in-law and over all of life. He taught. There was authority. There was a self-evident authority in Jesus' teaching. Yes. Earlier in the story, we see the, the authority beginning to happen. Remember at the very beginning, and, and John sort of wakes us up. Remember, get ready, get ready. You know, uh, are you ready for some Jesus? <laughs> you know, uh, coming right in the beginning, uh, he comes in. What happens? We have Jesus being baptized, and immediately the heavens are open. It's like the veil is opened up, and they see the ultimate reality behind this world. And God speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Authority, right? And then we see him going into the wilderness with the wild beasts, and he has authority over the tempter, verse 14 and following. And then we see him coming to four guys fishing along the boat, and he says, follow me. He has authority over people. He has authority in his teaching. This man knows what he's about. He's a man who knows the truth. He's a man who has authority So we see here that authority is blessed by God there when he's baptized. His authority is in conflict with Satan, as we saw there in the wilderness in verses 15 and following. We see authority in his teaching about the way life is to be lived. We see his authority over unclean spirits, his authority over illnesses, his authority over sin in chapter 2 when he says to a man, your sins are forgiven, authority even over religious holidays like the Sabbath in chapter 3 and later on authority over nations. This guy is in charge, Right? We ought to be impressed by this man. They certainly were. See, Jesus is the authority, the author of life. He created life. He doesn't have to rant and rave. He knows the truth. He knows how it works. His is the true authority. Whether we choose to accept his authority or not does not change the truth of it. He is the authority. His is not just another teaching It's a brand new authority. His words are true. They speak to real life, not just to future blessedness, not just about getting to heaven, but rather the message of the renewal of creation. You see, the Christian message is not an escape from the material world, but it's the renewal of the material world. So Jesus has good wisdom about how to marry and how to raise children and how to do business and how to relate to our neighbors. Good life wisdom because that's the God who created this world and loves it. Yes. So, he speaks, and the unclean spirits flee. He touches Simon's mother-in-law, and she is healed. Uh, He he, he, he speaks the, the, the words of wisdom, and people are astonished. This guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. That means you and I ought to be submitting to that authority, right? We don't always like it. I thought about that when I was listening and watching to the Pope up there saying things which... Half the group always liked and half the group always hated, you know, back and forth, back and forth, but not ranting and raving, saying business should be for the common good. We treat everybody like human beings created in the image of God, no matter who they are, right? Where they were born. We should value all of life, from the gestational period of life, even as he said, to the end of life, right? Yes, he had words to say which We're not always comfortable for everybody, but he spoke with authority, yes. In this way, I think he was an appropriate representative for how Jesus speaks to us as well. Yes, we need to submit to the authority of Jesus in our lives. His teaching is not politically correct. His teaching is not culturally appropriate sometimes. He says things about the family which our culture doesn't want to admit, He says things about violence that our culture does not want to live He says things about sexuality that our culture doesn't think is true. But trust me, it is the truth. You will never regret following Jesus' wisdom. Jesus is the ultimate authority. That's what we see here right in the beginning. And if we are wise... We will learn to submit to that authority because the God who makes us and loves us and gave himself for us and rose from the dead, this God cares about you. And he says about you, what he said about Jesus, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved Ruth, my beloved Cheryl, my beloved Bill, my beloved Vince, my beloved George. I am pleased with her, right? He loves you. He wants what's best for you. Learn and obey his authority. But, of course, you know, Jesus' authority does not go unchallenged. So let's see, secondly, the self-harming authority of unclean spirits the self-harming authority of unclean spirits. So Jesus is teaching with authority. They're astonished. And then verse 23, and immediately there's that word again. There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, Came out of him and they were amazed and they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So, as Jesus is giving his message of authority, there is another authority which doesn't like it this unclean spirit. The man with the unclean spirit is the example of the authority which stands in the way of Jesus' authority. Now, of course, we see this as an exorcism, a, 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 a throwing out of an unclean spirit which had taken him, and I absolutely believe in the reality of unclean spirits and that Jesus comes to free us from that kind of oppression. But I think if we were to stay on that level, at that point, we would miss the point that's most helpful to us, which is this question. There are, are there spiritual battles going in your life that you cannot see? Are there spiritual realities happening around you that you feel sometimes? Do you not find in yourself sometimes a rebellion against the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Let me just be honest. I do. And I'm the guy who's sitting here preaching and telling you this is Jesus' way, right? We find that there are... uh, Uh, influences in our life, and I'm not saying that these are like we're demon-possessed. Please don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I see that there are spiritual battles that we face, that there are spiritual influences in our lives which cause self-harm, which keep us bound up. Is that true for you? Influences that keep you tied up. Make you less than who you know you want to be, make you not the husband, not the wife you want to be, not the uh, employer that you wish to be, not the neighbor that you wish to be, not the person that you would admire, but the rather you the person you wish. your worst self shows up. And these things can be uh, uh, these things. Uh, 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 fight against the authority of of Jesus in life. Are there spiritual influences which cause self-harm? Yes, there are. And so if Jesus is the true authority, what about other so-called authorities to which we give ourselves? So I'd like to think about this story from that standpoint and get us to think a little bit about the self-harming authority of unclean spirits in our lives, those things, and you know what they are, who just continually grab hold of you. A good example of all this is in the brilliant trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. You've either read it or seen it. Have you guys heard of it, The Lord of the Rings? And Yeah. Um, if you haven't, you should uh, read it especially or see it. But uh, in, the, in The Lord of the Rings, you know, we have this one character throughout the beginning and the end of this story, and it's not a person at all. It's a ring. There's the ring of power. You remember that, don't you? What does this ring do? This ring has tremendous power, but it distorts and, and, and enslaves anyone who holds it and touches it. It has a distorting, perverse effect, perverting effect on every person. It takes good things and makes them broken things. It takes whole things. Turns them into shadows, husks, spiritless perversions of what they were meant to be. You see, it is because of the rings that elves in time past became orcs, that men became ring wraiths, that Smeagol the Hobbit became Gollum. The change that happened. Because of the fascination with this ring of power, it's a great parable, a great image of what can happen in our lives when we cling to things which are not really meant to be the ultimate authority in our lives. See, that ring took good things and made them into dominant, enslaving things, something that was potentially noble and honorable, a worthy aspiration, a dream or a hope, became instead an obsession which distorted, perverted, and enslaved its bearer. It was something which you, the, the bearer just had to have. Something that had ultimate what authority over that person's life. And so early in the movie, we discover that Gollum is gone, and many times go by, and what we discover later on in the movie, he's showing up. Why? He's got to get his what? His precious. His precious. Yes, Smeagol's love for the preciousness of the ring turns him into Gollum. Boromir, remember him? His love for honor and country and protection of his land becomes instead what? A lust for power, and he tries to steal this ring from Frodo. Frodo's willingness to serve others and to please them to do the right thing turns him into a self-indulgent and self-pitying person so he does not trust anyone, even Sam. Are you trying to take it from me? Yes, he refuses any assistance. And of course, there are these really sad kings of men who, when we see them, they're not kings of men at all, but rather ring wraiths, soulless, soulless shells of persons. Yeah. They were destined to lead Middle Earth, but instead they became soulless by their lust for power they were shadows of the men that they once were. You see, when you surrender to any other authority, exousia, any other authority, you become consumed by it. It becomes your master, tells you what to do. You obey it. And in the process, you become less the human being you wish to be. So that a quest for beauty, an appropriate quest for beauty, can become an eating disorder. So that a quest for comfort can become. An addiction which destroys our lives, so that the quest for success can become workaholism and to achieve great things can become a way of honoring only ourselves. You see, when we allow any other authority into our lives, we become a spiritless, a shadowy form of our future self. Yeah. With no real substance, vapor shells of what we were designed. To be, yes. The this image of this unclean spirit, a true story in that day, reminds me so much of the kinds of things that happen in my life when I let anything other than the true authority become the authority in my life. It happens all the time, and I hope you're aware or are sensitive to that. You know, in my own case, for example, the desire to serve God by building a church in this community that serves people can easily get what? turned into a way of validating my own self-existence, right? Those things happen so subtly. And to the degree that that begins to take control of my life, it begins to turn me into something different than what God designed for me to be. Yes, and it happens for everyone. We've got to be very careful. And Jesus comes to set us free from that to become the true authority in our lives. So we should maybe ask ourselves, to what counterfeit authorities do we sometimes surrender ourselves May we surrender ourselves to the spirit of power for power's sake, the spirit of pleasure for pleasure's sake, the spirit of money for money's sake, the spirit of comfort for comfort's sake, the spirit of achievement for achievement's sake. To validate my own self existence. These things enslave us, but Jesus's authority sets us free from them. Now, of course, the exorcism in here is a real situation, but there's also a way in which Jesus's authority can work in our lives as followers of Jesus to set us free, so that we can enjoy both spirit or power and pleasure and money and uh, comfort and ambition and all these things under the authority of Jesus. Not instead of the authority of Jesus. These are difficult. And so we see there this self enslaving authority. Let's look at number three the self giving authority of Jesus' actions. The self giving authority of Jesus' actions. Well, as, as of course, because of all that, that, this is that happening, Jesus creates quite a stir. Yeah? He creates quite a stir. And so we see in verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the regions of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and he left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all those who were sick, or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered by the, by the door. And behold, they were, those who were sick with various diseases, uh, he healed them and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Wow, this is curious. Jesus gathers a large following. Crowds begin to stir around. They're drawn to the spectacle. But then Jesus does something really unexpected. He says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. You ever wondered about that? When you read the gospel, in fact, anytime we've studied the gospel of Mark as a small group, of different times, uh, and I have people read it, they always say, Why does Jesus keep saying, Don't tell him about me? I'm going to tell you a little bit of why at this time. So, Jesus silences those demons and silences those who know. Doesn't he want everyone to know who he is? Well, actually, not yet. He doesn't. He wants to demonstrate his authority. But he also wants us to know that his authority will express itself in a far different way than people are expecting. They're ready to sign up for revolution. They're ready. If Jesus said, go grab a stick and let's go storm the army. Well, a guy who can heal disease and throw out demons, yeah, give me a stick. I'll, I'll, I'll storm the Roman temple or the Roman, right? He could have done that. But that wasn't the kind of revolution he was trying to make. So he says, be quiet quiet. Yeah. In fact, as we see, this whole first eight chapters of of Mark are telling this story of an emerging picture of who Jesus is. No one really knows who, who is this. A new teaching with authority. The demons know, but the people don't yet know. Yes, his authority will not be the kind of authority they're they're expecting. He will not call an army to fight the Romans. Instead, he will lay down his life at the hands of the Romans. This is how he will demonstrate his authority. He will be, as we sang earlier, the lamb who was slain. It's counterintuitive. It's not the kind of authority they're expecting. So this is why he says, be quiet. Be quiet. Don't tell just yet. Ultimately, when everybody does know who he is, what happens? he dies. He's not ready to die yet. He needs some time to build this following so that people begin to understand him as the king, the Messiah, so that he then can say, yes, I am the king to his followers. Now, this is what the king is going to do. He's going to die on a cross, and they don't get it. That's what happens. His authority will be expressed as a servant. So if you were to outline the gospel of Mark in a simple way, in general, the first 8 chapters are about Jesus the king and the last 8 chapters about Jesus the suffering king. Jesus is the Messiah and then he is the Messiah who lays down his life. We can see it especially, I don't have much time, but I do kind of want you to see it, and I, you know, you, I hope you will bring your Bibles, uh, whether you bring it electronically or with pages, as you bring your Bibles. In Mark chapter 8, we see this developing, and so ultimately we see that um, in about verse uh, 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 twenty. Uh, 22, Jesus heals a man at at Bethsaida, and they say, he says, do you see? Do you see? He doesn't see yet clearly. And then in verse 27, it says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You're the Messiah. It's the first time his disciples actually say who he is. Eight chapters in, you're the Messiah. And he strictly charged them, tell no one about him. It's kind of like, are you going to run for office? Are you going to run for office? Yeah, let's run for office. Okay, don't tell anyone, right? That's what's kind of going on in this story. And then Jesus, okay, let me tell you what's going to happen our little group here. It's just the disciples, not the big group, just ourselves. Verse 31, next verse. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. And he told them this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, wouldn't you? Wait a minute, Jesus, this is not the way you run a campaign. He began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's not a very pleasant thing. A minute ago, Peter was the guy who said, you're the Christ. And now Jesus is saying, later, get behind me, Satan, from one extreme to the next. Kind of like you and me, right? I will praise you. Oh, and then I swear and use his name in vain the next hour, right? Yeah? You don't, I'm sure, but... uh, and then, so he rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And he crawled the crowd. That's with his disciples, a larger group. He says, if you want to follow me, let's, in other words, start, get this campaign going. Let's get this party started. If you're going to follow me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not only am I going to die, but so are. You see what's going on in this gospel of Mark? Read through the whole thing and notice the change that happens around the eighth chapter. And he tells them what Jesus' Messiahship is going to be one of self-giving love. Jesus is stilling uh, unclean spirits, healing people, and teaching truth. But he knows that these are merely band-aids on the problem. These are border skirmishes on the real battle, the power of evil at the heart of the human uh, psyche. And within this world itself, he realizes that it goes much deeper than a few sick people or a few uh, unclean spirits, even the Roman government. It's much deeper than that. It needs to be excised from the very beginning. When evil needs to be judged, and what's going to happen? He's going to accept the judgment for evil. That's, oh, I know I'm out of time, but I can't help it. That's how he expresses this. It's the upside-down kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, the cosmic forces that are ultimately responsible for falsehood parading as truth, for evil being disguised as good, for bondage dressed up like freedom. Take this pill. It'll make you free. The first one's free, right? It doesn't make you free, but it's presented as freedom. These must be finally dealt with, and it will only happen one day. As Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the only perfect human being God embodied, this Jesus voluntarily dies for sinful humanity. The only truly free human being becomes himself a slavery to death. The one who is ultimately righteous dies as sin on our behalf. The one God-embodied human worthy of worship receives ridicule and abuse. The all-powerful creator of the world allows himself to be raised on its cross and buried in its womb. This Jesus, the Messiah, the King, takes the death that should have been ours in order to give to us the life that only he can give. This Jesus, the Messiah, the King, says with his final breath, Into your hands I commit my spirit. So the following his resurrection, he can now breathe his spirit into us and say, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He makes us whole. This is the turn of the story. Like the prestige tells you, the unexpected twist, the king is the one among us as one who serves. The Messiah is the one who suffers our death to give us life. He dies for the root of the world's problem. That's his Messiahship. The Lord of life lays down his life so that his wayward creation can receive new life. Yes. Why? This is how Jesus will disarm the powers that exercise authority over your life. Which leads us then to my last quick, I hope, point, the self-liberating authority of Jesus' touch. The self-liberating authority of Jesus' touch. What he wants to do is to set us free and it's beautifully pictured by the way that he responds to Simon's, whose name is Peter, by the way, we know him by Peter, mother-in-law. She lays ill with a fever. They tell him about her. He came, took her by the hand, took her by the hand and lifted her up and she was made well and began to serve them. Jesus lifted her up. Jesus set her free from the illness which had put her down. Jesus set the man with the unclean spirit free from the spirit which had tied him up. Jesus set humanity free by the false teachings, by teaching to us the truth. Jesus sets you free as you respond to his touch. Jesus was lifted up on the cross and gave his life so that you and I could be lifted up from whatever authorities want to take charge of our lives. When Jesus exercises his upside-down authority, wrongs are righted, death is reversed, illness frees is it flees, and captives are freed, we are made new people. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Will you respond to that news? If you've not responded to Jesus, will you say to him, Jesus, I surrender to your authority in my life. I ask you to set me free from the things that enslave me. I thank you for dying and being raised for me. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, there are among us, perhaps, people who feel themselves stuck, trapped, dead, really. Shadows of their true selves who are trapped by authorities. We pray for them and for us. We pray that you'd help us to respond in faith to your touch, to be willing to trust you, to allow you to be the authority in our life. And I pray that maybe there are people even here today who want to make this the moment they put a marker in the sand to say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I want you to be the authority in my life. I want you to raise me up and set me free so that I can serve you like Simon's mother-in-law did. We're thankful for this promise, for the authority that is ours in Jesus. We submit to him in his name.